Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Okay, um, let's have you, uh, your question or comment. So my question was that when you gave me a correction about um, getting out of the way on this particular technique, um, I was feeling the clash, um, feeling the stuckness, and then I kind of just stop. Um, like your, your movement? Yes. And what's, what's the question, though? Well, <laughs> you stop. So I, I think my question is, um, how do I reconcile that? How do I get out of the way? Because it's almost like I'm not sure what to do because um, I'm doing what I think I should be doing, but not what I actually would be doing to really reconcile that clash. OK. Um, and this. We, we've said this many times, but I'm not quite sure we always understand what's being said. Uh, and that's common. It, sometimes it takes many times to hear something. Um, you know, it's why you, you, you would reread books and reread philosophers, and you, you go back and you touch base again. And you generally find something new. It's not that the text changed, especially if the philosophers have long been dead, but you have changed, and you can get a little bit more of a foothold on what is being said. Um, so let's touch base on this again, um, which is my position on Aikido. So if you remember the podcast episode definitions, it it spells out the bare basics there, okay? And um, there's a few things I think that plagues us modern deshi and why we need to keep returning to what's being said. So I would recommend that you, if you're not doing anything, put on one of those podcast episodes. You don't need to be drawn by the title to do this method, okay? Just put it on and you will get something new out of it. Um, but there's two things I think that get in the way of, of moderns trying to do this pre-modern technology of self. Um, the one is that our epistemy has changed. We, th we think with what we can call a scientific epistemy. It's a cause and effect one, it's a linear one. Um, it's really one of the laboratory, but we go ahead and try to use it uh, outside of the laboratory. It wasn't that it pre that it did not exist pre enlightenment. It did. It just didn't hold um, it's the same level of cultural dominance that it that it did. For good reason. It's not actually very practical is what it is. It's practical inside the laboratory where you can control 
things, then you can determine cause and effect. But in reality, you cannot determine, you cannot control uh, the number of involved elements. It's almost impossible even to detect all of the uh, involved elements in whatever, whatever given context or situation that you're trying to determine uh, a course of action through. It's, oh, it's impossible. It's, it's almost nearly impossible in the laboratory, which is why uh, evidence is tainted repeatedly o over and over and again, and why, why science keeps going, because somebody sooner or later discovers that your experiment was tainted by some other unaccounted for element, okay? Um, really, the scientific epistemies, cultural dominance isn't, isn't really an application of that episteme. Um, it's actually a scientistic Episteme, uh, and the difference is that we we sort of have like a symbolic or uh, analogous uh, way of thinking that mimics a way of thinking in the laboratory. That's what, that's why we call, it's not scientific how we usually go about our daily lives or how we would come to learn this art. You see, we don't, we're not really learning it through reason, through sound reason, or through a direct application of the scientific episteme. We're learning it through a scientistic episteme. Uh, what I mean by that is, for example, uh, the delusion that you can account for all of the elements uh, within a given, let's say, a lesson plan, or your given training, or this given technique, and you, you know, you're going to try to figure out uh, what is getting in the way of you being able to do this, do you see? And so um, you now uh, have the delusion that you're inside a laboratory and that you can actually control uh, for things, it, let alone even, let's just say, the repeatability of the problem such that you could cross off uh, various things as they come to be determined not to be causal. Okay, no, if, or in order for me to do that, I have to be able to repeat my experiment over and over and over again. But the problem is I can't do that because Uke always comes in a little different, do you see? And so the solution for one rep is it cannot be by default the solution for the next rep because the next rep is not an exact uh, identical uh, rep to the last one, do you see? But we all pretend that it is, do you see? And that's why it's scientific and not scientific, okay? But, and, and so in that sense, it's really not practical. You're never going to find, um, if you identified the causal that you now, the causal element that you now go ahead and use through that process, that's not, by definition, the causal element because my experiments are not, are not the same experiment being, being repeated over and over again. Do you understand that? And so it's not practical. Well, Aikido is a pre-modern technology. It doesn't function through that epistemy at all. Okay? And that's the first problem that us moderns have is we, we start looking for causal elements, do you see, in the place where we can't repeat our experiments. It's like this is asinine, okay? But you see it all over the place in modern Aikido, which is why in modern Aikido, do you see how we stopped training? Now we're talking. 
you see. Because in modern Aikido, more and more and more, it's like a, a high school class. The, the sensei is more like a professor, and they're talking, and they talk, and they talk, and they run these little physical experiments. This, this, is, this is basic, in my mind, this is Japanese Aikido right now. It, it, has, it has lost all, well, much of Aikido has lost all of its professional aim. And people aren't trying to fight with Aikido. If you, do, if you look at the demographics even, it's not made up of combat sport people, but it's not made up either of police officers or soldiers. That's not who comes demographically to first world Aikido. Do you, do you understand that? that? That class does not come. And so there's, uh, you might have a few bouncers, but I doubt it. I would say that's still a minority too. Do you see? So there's no professional end to the art. And you need the absence of that professional end plus this modern unreflective acceptance of the scientific epistemy, and voila, you have a high school class where you, you talk and you work through physical puzzles, through academically, intellectually, okay? Now, why is that important to note here? Because that is the second problem that us moderns have, and obviously it's an extension of adopting the scientific epistemy. The second problem that us moderns have is uh, we have come to redefine what the art actually is. So if we, leave, if we continue where we left off, the reason that people can do those physical puzzles as part of their training, not like we just did here, hey, training has stopped. We are now not training. We are now talking. Do you see that? The reason why they can continue talking and consider that training is because, again, ignorantly, meaning without awareness, they have changed the definition of the art, okay? Well, how? To fit a scientific application and understanding of the art. That's how, okay? So what did they change? Well, you have to look at their understanding of Aikido is of such a nature that it can be solvable through, in, through the intellect, through the application of the intellect, and through pedagogical um, uh, theory aimed at the intellect. Where we go, training stopped, and the reason we say training stopped is because right now we're going to use our intellect. And our assumption is this will do nothing for you in terms of learning Aikido. Meaning your question here, which is how do I reconcile that point of contention? Understanding it in no way is going to let you do it, okay? We, ha we have to, because that's not an intellectual problem. Even though your question Pretended it was. Do you see? 
And it, the question made sense. But from this scientistic epistemy, from what Aikido actually is, your question makes no sense, right? And so the answer I'm going to give you, if, if you're like, your, your question would be one of, um, what are the degrees that I need to take in order to reconcile? Again, that answer is possible if uke comes in every time the same way, every single time, which doesn't happen. And if I receive uke the same way every single time, which doesn't happen, do you see? Because we are not machines. So to give you the amount of degrees, the rate, the positioning, whether you step or don't step, uh, all of that stuff is totally irrelevant to the skill that you're seeking, which is how do I not contend at that point? That's, that's your question, do you see? And if we ask that, how do I not contest? Do you see? That's, we're getting more in the ballpark. And uh, that's already opening the door for some kind of like, um, by modern standards, we would say, this seems more psychological. Or this seems more of a spiritual question. Let's just play with the word contest. Do you see? How do I not push against what's pushing on me? Do you see? And when somebody goes, well, just, just don't push. It's like, that's my question. Do you see? That's not an answer anymore. Do you see? So just, just step here. Just step there. It, it turn 45 degrees. It, no, dude, that's not my problem. My problem is I can't do those things because I push on what's pushing on me. Do you see? And if you go deeper you go, and you start looking at this, not in terms of like a geometry or an architecture, these kind of scientific solutions, these kind of mathematical solutions, do you see? And you leave it at this uh, psycho-spiritual level. And you start structurally looking at what does push mean? And what does, what does I mean? You see, I, why do I push against what's pushing on me? I got an I in there, and I got a me in there, and I got this push. Let, well, let's break that down. What, what do those actually mean? Not, not mathematically, not architecturally. Okay? And we started with contest, and then contest. So if we come to define push, we're going to define it without losing track that we were talking about contestation. Okay? So... I'm pushing on what is pushing on me. There's an experience of being pushed, do you see? Right now, I assume that that experience is happening outside of the me and the I. I'm being pushed. But it's probably more accurate to say I'm pushing. 
to say, I am pushing. Or pushing is me. Think about it for a little bit. You know, like, God, I am. The God I am is pushing. That's what I mean. I don't mean I am doing pushing. I am pushing. If I could solve this riddle. Basically, if you want to do it mathematically, it would be I equals pushing. Okay? The I equals pushing. So they're on the two sides of the equal sign. I can do away with one means what? I do away with the other. Or as one manifests, the other manifests. Does that make sense? Well, now we're in pre-modern epistemology. Because, and, and why? Again, it's not a sign of the times. Epistemology and, and the cultural dominance of an episteme is really driven by power. It's driven by economics and it's driven by power. Well, currently, our economic systems, our power systems, they have all agreed to participate in this scientific episteme. It's not an evolution of thought. If, if, we, if we can accept that, then we can understand that a pre-modern episteme, the concentric one that Aikido is born through, is not by default then, because it preceded the scientific episteme, is not by default impractical or illogical. In fact, I would put before you, it is extremely practical. So this pushing is currently concentric with this I. And this I is concentric with this pushing. When you have I equals pushing, you're mathematically representing this concentric episteme. Now, I didn't cause pushing. Pushing didn't cause I. I equals pushing. I am pushing. Now, if we... If we, we're, we're away from all of the technical, physiological solutions. Do you see? That's what, this is a spiritual matter right now. Like, holy shit. This is an ontological matter, a soteriological matter. Do you get it? This is a fucking, this is like, what is I? Well, let's look at that moment and let's look at what is going on at this psycho-spiritual level. Let's not look for degrees of rotation, do you see, um, geometric patterns or technical architectural elements. I'm telling you right now, as, as we demonstrated at the end, do you see, 
that as some of you were doing the traversing on the mat as your way of reconciling the energy, the last demonstration was mm, you don't need to do that at all. Okay? And you should know that you can, as your, let's, say, let's not identify it, but let's say as skill increases, we're not saying skill at what yet, but as skill increases, all of that external movement, manipulation is actually irrelevant. You can do it where to the eye of an observer doesn't look like you moved at all. Definitely to the person that's coming in, especially full steam and in blind aggression, they, they don't think you moved at all. Okay. So let's look for these psycho-spiritual things that, sh that manifest at that moment because maybe they are, they are more causal, so to speak, or they are more concentric with what is going on. Maybe there's a whole lot of equals other than I equals pushing. Maybe this I is in the middle and there's not just one equal to the right, but there's an equal above it and an equal to the left and an equal at all the eight directions, do you see? And all these things, I am. So, what do you think? All of you did the technique, and you can look at it from the Nagas point of view, where you will have the yang perspective, and you will look at it at the yin point of view, which is Uke's point of view. There is something at that moment that happens psycho-spiritually, and it affects both Uke and Nage. I'm going to direct this conversation now. I want to hear what happened to some of the ukes at that moment. Do you know the moment? Okay. There's the moment when the yang hand is seeking yang. Do you get it? What's soon to be the yang hand starts to seek yang. What happens to the uke, some of the uke, at that moment, it, at a psycho-spiritual level? Anyone, come over here. Come over here. Uh, a freeze response. Okay, a freeze response. Do you mean like uh, fight, flight, or freeze? Okay. So let's look at why that startle response would happen, that flinch response, okay? Uh... So modern medical science is saying that you are experiencing some stimuli in the external world. Your brain, this is what they say, is processing it and is determining whether this is threat or not threat, whether this is potentially injurious to you or life-threatening to you or not, okay? And then uh, if your mind determines, your brain determines that it is not, it now processes the information contained in the experience 
in a different part of your brain, okay? But if it determines that it is threatening to you, then it goes to another part of your brain, okay? And that part of the brain now uh, stimulates a, another part of our body that goes, hey, uh, we're not leaving this up to you. Uh, we're going to take over, okay? So like in law enforcement, we call it a limbic freeze, okay? Um, colloquially, it's referred to as an amygdala hijacking, or uh, discursively, we call it condition black, okay? Where your awareness is no longer functioning at an operational level, okay? We call that condition black. Um, and if you pay attention when you do that, it is very much a startle response. Like if someone goes, boop, do you see? Um, your torso and things like that kind of uh, flex inwardly, right? Uh, your shoulders will go up. So evolutionary biologists will say, oh, your shoulders go up because our necks are very vulnerable and you're trying to protect those arteries and veins, do you see? Um, arms kind of go like out, but not all the way because uh, they can only get out as far as the uh, torso tension, right, uh, will let them go, but they generally go in front of your tor torso. So what are you supposed to do with your back brake fall? Boom, boom, hit the mat, right? And that's arms coming out and going towards the back, but a limbic freeze is going to make your arms go, which is almost why when you guys do your worst falls, you don't hit the mat. You pay attention. Okay. So your arms being flexed and brought to the front of your body is, again, protecting the soft part of our body. Your arms are in the way of organs, hearts, and things like that, okay? Which is where, like, if you knife fight, you put your arms there. Don't reach out with your hands. Your arms go close to your body, do you see? And your body's doing that normally. And then uh, mobility is hugely infringed upon, especially at the joints, okay? And the reason for this is so you fall. Because you were going to freeze when that tiger started coming out of the jungle at you, do you see? You were going to freeze, and that, that's just an easy lunch for the tiger. So your body is going to go, I got this because you are not doing anything. Oh, it's going to protect your neck. It's going to protect your organs. And then it's going to lock your joints so you fall. You clear the line of attack. So if, if you watch people under stress, it's very difficult for them to walk or run. And eventually they bite it. They might get a few steps in. If you've ever had the experience of running in full-blown fear, uh, you, you, uh, you'll see that it's not so easy. That's where, like, people fall forward or fall. Yeah, have you ever seen this one? This one is always interesting to me. Uh, or the opposite. The legs will keep moving, but the upper body is falling way behind the legs, okay? Well, that's all from that adrenaline dump, and your body's all like, uh, we'll control this, okay? So, yeah, in Unikami, at that part of the technique, as the young hen is seeking his young nature, uh, you feel, oh, right? 
and you might go into that startle flinch response and have that freeze. And you do tend to do that. And you hold your breath, you see, because don't breathe anything toxic. Don't taste any poison or anything. You see, your body's trying to keep you alive. It knows right now you're dead. It believes right now you're dead, so it does this freeze response, okay? It is, uh, maybe in the next second you won't be dead. Maybe the situation will change. Maybe the tiger jumped over you and off the cliff, and you can get back up and go. But right now, if I leave you here, your body is saying, that tiger's going to eat us, okay? So you do do that. You won't hit the mats. You flex. You hold your breath. Shoulders come up. This is a stress response, okay? Um, but if we look at it from this discursive uh, breakdown, condition block, you see, my awareness, uh, very much like my body goes egocentric, you see. It does not extend to even the length of my body. It'll, it doesn't extend to my fingers or my toes or my head. And my ukemi requires an organization between that periphery and my center. And if I don't have awareness to even the limits of my body, I cannot maintain that organization. And as a result, what happens to my ukemi? Yes, my, my center, we say my, our center disconnect, or by which we mean that peripheral center organization has dissolved, it's been deconstructed. How? By this egocentric oriented awareness, conditioned black. Okay? So we start falling poorly, uh, we let go, we're trying to get the hell out of there. Do you see? I, I have enough uh, presence where my, I don't have an amygdala hijacking, but I'm not really there either. Okay? And that was happening, too, at that, at that moment, do you see? And I would say even in the skilled uke, so um, I'm pretty good at ukemi, and I would say as, the as any technique transitions from, um, let's just keep with that moment, from yin to yang, you have to let go as uke of your of your um, yang energy, okay? You have to. I don't, it, it, to the observer outside, it looks like, oh, you're totally fine and you, you didn't have a limbic freeze and you didn't play with condition black. Um, I would say that only happens when the uke or the nage really has uh, no martial potential, okay? But some, some people on the mat already have uh, ample martial potential, uh, and they'll take me into that transition, do you see? And now their yang energy is coming back, and it, it, I don't know how fast it is. Probably to you, it's unobservable, but to me, uh, it doesn't feel too fast. I wish it was faster, but I know it's fast enough, okay? So it's... You know, usually we talk about a spark from a stone, okay? But there is some letting go. We haven't said what, though, okay? But even at that moment, the, the good uke does not go into a limbic freeze, does not go into con condition black, but releases 
as the energy is now going from yin to yang on Naga's part, okay? Um, well, why at that moment? What does it mean to go from Naga's energy going from yin to yang? What does that mean for the uke at that moment? Why does the, even the skilled uke have to do release and all the way through an intermediate uke facing condition black to the beginner uke uh, facing a limbic freeze or an amygdala hijacking to the point where the real, real beginner uke, we don't even throw. Do you know what I mean? They're just going through the motions. They're, they're, they're just doing uh, modern Aikido. They're just learning architecture, and you get it. This is where your foot goes. This is where your hand goes. You get it. I mean, when we move past that, it's like um, we go, that's not Aikido. That's beginner right? That's brand new beginner Aikido. What do you mean by that? That's Aikido for people who cannot do Aikido. Oh, you mean not Aikido. Yes, that's not Aikido. Okay? We're in the realm of Aikido where this psychological, psycho-spiritual dilemma manifests itself, okay? So from the skilled uke to the intermediate to the beginner uke, they're all facing some sort of crisis at that moment. Do you get it? They face it in different ways. Why is there a crisis at that moment? What do you think? Yes, what do you got? It goes into there's a part where you're not in control, so you're hitting the void. There's that oh shit moment in every single rep. So you're going to have it regardless because there always is going to be that void if there is that martial skill. And then it's up to Uke then to release it and then take the yang part. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, and I like that you said, oh, shit, because you know what? I just say, oh, shit, at spark from a stone speed. Oh, shit! Like, you know, like, the things change, right? You start to realize, I'm not really in control right now. This, I think there are several poisons, if we can speak of them. There are several poisons um, that us moderns are particularly prone to. And they are related to this scientific epistemy. You see, the, de the delusion that I can account for all elements, that I can actually make a laboratory of the non-laboratory world. Do you know how, and like, do you, do you understand what I mean? Do you know how much technology goes into creating a pristine lab and we're like trying to find causal elements in this world we cannot control for. Okay. Relatedly, one of the poisons that I would tell you is this one. This, this poison is related to your eyes, your vision. It is the belief of the capacity to control forward, 
to control forward in the, that's why it's related to vision. You see, my eyes are in front of my head. I'm looking straight ahead. And the assumption here is that my eyes can tell me what is going to happen. But it goes deeper than that. Relatedly, this is why when you do your metzke, it's not a, you're not processing information visually. That's, that's the opposite of metzke. When you do your zazen and you cast your eyes downward at a 45 degree angle, you're not looking at a 45 degree angle. The ultimate, in terms of this, the ultimate zazen experience in terms of your eyes is, my eyes are open, but I cannot see, I am blind. My consciousness has entirely separated itself from my eyes, from my vision, but from this poison, this poison to want to control ahead, to risk manage. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of what's going to happen next. So we try to control for it. We cannot just let things be till we continually project forward. And in this concentric world, in the projecting of myself forward, the eye is there. The eye, the I got one side of the equation already. So we've been, I've been touching a long time on where you guys place your eyes, but for very deeper reasons than you're aware of. So yeah, there is a transition if you look at it in the ukemi. I push. That's what you're told. That's your energy cue, Azuki. You, <laughs> the 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 problem, the mathematical problem manifested by design. I push. Do you see? That's what you're supposed to do, Azuki. Grab those two hands and push. Again, remember, this is not a self-defense system. This is a technology of self. And if this I equals pushing is the problem, and that's what we're working on, then we're going to manifest the problem so we can work on it. I am pushing. So there you go. Now that I manifests itself. Do you see? And now, Nage does something that doesn't make sense to that I. I push in the yin-yang world means I'm pushing against what's pushing on me. And that makes sense. And that eye that is pushing feels safe there because they know what's happening. Do you see? They can see what's happening. I'm pushing, which really means I'm pushing on what's pushing on me. I now know what happens, and I know what I should do. I should overpower this pushing. I should get more I because I equals pushing. 
I push more, I get more I. You see? But what does Nage do? Nage goes, you're pushing, I'm not pushing. They take away their equation. Of course, the unskilled Nage pushes right back, and that world makes sense to those two people. That's what I call big man Aikido, right? But also the choreograph, the dressage pony Aikido, is the same I equals pushing. Do you see? Because it's the same person subject to that poison of control, of wanting to travel ahead in time to risk mitigate because they feel threatened, which is why you're pushing. You want control. So you got, we're not talking about dressage pony Aikido, and we're not talking about big man Aikido. Those, those Aikidoka have no idea what we're talking about. They can go and have their classrooms and talk about degrees and do their little physical puzzles. They have no idea of this psycho-spiritual crisis of which we're speaking. They redefine their Aikido. They don't come on the mat to get in a psycho-spiritual crisis. We do. Because that's what it means to have a Budo. So Nage does not go, I equals pushing. But as you do, I equals pushing, and you are pushing on their pushing, at, at that moment, the crisis manifests itself for both parties. But Nage, to continue doing the tactical architecture, is to break the equation. No more I, no more pushing. Or you could go reverse, no more pushing, no more I. Okay? And so now... As was said, Uke experiences of this void. I was pushing, you were pushing, we were all good pushing. Everything made sense. All I had to do was overpower, and it would be better if either you would let me stop pushing, or you would just overpower me. That all makes sense to me. Because the eye stays there, and it's all like... I either controlled or I got controlled, and that makes sense. It doesn't raise the same psychological crisis as I push and I hit void. I hit their non-self. I hit their self-release, which I can't hit, do you see? I'm just, I'm trying to look into the future, do you see? And I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen. But now I can't see, and it's like my arms are just reaching out. And that's exactly what you do as Uke. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're reaching out for something. But it's too late. You're flying through the air. And in that moment, depending on our skill, we do one of those things. We do a quick, oh shit, or we do condition black, or we do this limbic freeze. Okay. Well, as I said already, that crisis point 
is the same crisis point that Nage has. Because that is where you either, your push as Uke is going to be overpowered by my push, do you see? And so I better get that. I better be strong enough to overpower your push. Because if I don't, you're going to get me. And there's that me again. And there's the poison for control. You're going to control me? No, I'm going to control you. What the good Naga does is the same thing the good Uke does. You have to release. It's not about where you step, how you step. It's that same moment when the, you come in with your prescribed design crisis. Hey, right now, Uke, your I equals pushing. You come in and you set the crisis up for the Nage. Right? So if you pay attention, some, some Nage can get void right, on, right when you touch them. Other Nage need a little bit of movement, do you see? And then other Nage is like, they're just shoving you back, and you're like, well, I don't really like your arm in my face. Well, that's because you're pushing back, do you see, as Uke. And then some Nage just get overpowered, can't do the technique, okay? But in that same moment, Uke is prescribed to set up the crisis, I equals pushing, and Nage now is tempted. Do you want to add to the equation? Is I equals pushing? Or can you do no I, then no equal, and no pushing, just void? Okay? And now, what does Nage do? Nage sets up the new crisis for the uke. Do you see? Now it's their turn. Hey, your I equals pushing. It's time to get rid of it. <laughs> do you understand? Why? Because Nage got rid of it. Do you see? It's concentric. Do you see? You can't really survive. If you maintain your I equals pushing, Nage is going to kill you. Okay, is going to kill you, and that and that is the um, the pre-modern motivator. Do you see? That's that's why we say in our ukemi rules, one of them is don't die. That's your that's your ultimate ultimate motivator. Do you see? We don't we don't say. Uh, Blend and follow, follow uke and land feathery soft. Do you know? We don't give a shit about that. That's not the sign of the good uke. Do you see? The sign of the good uke is the one who doesn't die who's facing death because the uke is going to only be able to take that ukemi if they can release. Do you see? When we're operating at this level, when Nage has subverted or deconstructed the I equals pushing equation, Uke must do the same in order to survive the technique. Unless Nage does the learning curve mercy. Do you see? Oh, you're going to 
you're going to bite it. I'll let you out, you know. But in that mercy, the uked has not learned. Okay? So, if you go back now to your question, how do I stop contesting? Well, that in one way I said stop contesting. How do you stop contesting? Stop contesting. Okay? But in another way, it is you need to release the self. And again, nothing I say, nothing that you perceive intellectually will ever help you towards that skill. That is not an intellectual skill. Okay? I would do further investigation into that moment to see what is happening. We just mentioned a few things. There's a whole lot that is going on, okay? The ego tripartite or the first mind aspect is in full functioning mode at that time, okay? So there is a lot. We just uncovered this one thing. It is present. It, it was on the mat today, and it is, it is prevalent, and it's probably dominant, but there's more. And you don't know which one is going to get in there, okay? And uh, which one that you might be able to find a doorway through, okay? I, so, yes, reflect, okay? Reflect. Reflect is better than me telling you the answer, okay? Reflect on your own. Go deeper than what we talked about here, okay? But traditional training is you, again, that's still light. It's still, uh, meaning... I'm not really penetrating to the heart of the matter, okay? Usually what traditional training is going to do is going to focus in on mundane things, okay? Mundane things. So if that would be um, your sensei deshi relationship, the etiquette there, dojo etiquette, uh, cleaning, you know, the work in the dojo, all that kind of stuff. Um, your your relationship to your intended training schedule, all of those things require uh, degrees of self-release in order to be functioning at the level that your teacher has prescribed. You, you can't do those things at that level without self-release, okay? Uh, they look like they're mundane, they look like they're worldly, but it's because we're scientistic people. They're not, okay? And if you pay attention, um, when you treat them worldly, you're not doing them at the level that your teacher has said they need to be done. It almost always goes like that. So, you know, um, your, your take, for example, your, your view of your teacher's uh, ITS is daily training, do you see? And uh, with that is sacrifice uh, and a simplification and a unification in your orientation towards the daily training. So I won't take that trip. I won't take that class. I won't take that shift. Do you, do you see that? Oh, slow down there now. You know, uh, <laughs> I come when I uh, can and I come as most as I can. Well, that's already a deviation because that's not the practice of sacrifice nor of commitment. That is just convenience training, do you see? Um, so you would make a problem out of the CPs, for example, because a lot of times the CPs 
are sometimes coming, you know, the courtesy protocols, like I'm going to be absent. And if you look at why you're absent, um, you know, those four disciplines are jacked. Do you see your, your four disciplines? You're not eating right. You're not sleeping right. You're not working out right. You don't have the right worldview. I, I get a lot of the CPs as well, like, oh, I don't feel good, or I didn't sleep good, or I didn't, you know, like, hey, go back to the four disciplines, and you should be uh, managing them in such a way that you can do what? Daily training as prescribed by the teacher, do you see? And again, none of this has anything to do with the teacher, um, but it sure has a lot to do with self-release. Do you see? Because when we look at why we can't keep these four disciplines or daily training, there's a whole lot of I, and a whole lot of I equals whatever. I equals your, you put your, insert job. Do you get it? No, that's not you. Do you see? You, you can't be going, you know, I am a PhD. Uh, yeah, you're now a PhD flying through the fucking air bear, uh, facing your death. Do you get it? It's not going to do shit for you at this moment. Do you understand? Do you, do you guys got that? Okay. So uh, the mundane things are not really mundane. Um, just like with all things, you know, your skill um, changes your perception as we said, as you come to understand more and you go back and you reread a book, it's a new book, okay? And as your practice develops, something like daily training becomes profound. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S E N. S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.